He ngā mana, e ngā reo, tauti mai ki tēnei o ngā hōtaka ko Tiahika. Quote tēnei ko Justin Murray. Coming up, highlights of the issues that we've covered and the people that we have talked to over the past year as we wind down for 2018. She went from being a cop to a shop owner. Hamilton-based Ramid runs a small business called Thrifted Streetwear, a company that sells vintage urban American stylized clothing. Sports labels like Starter, bomber jackets, vintage designers like Gucci and of course basketball shoes. A big fan of the 90s era, Ra took her lead from the 90s pop culture. So the boys in the police would always say, Ra, what are you doing in the police? You're so you're making more money side hustle and I would be at work and I'd be on trade me and the boys would be like, Ra, you do your court file over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minimise it so I couldn't see it. From streetwear to tackling issues on the streets of Tauranga, reconnecting the disconnected run by social services Aam Te Tuinga brought together social services and the Korowai Trust CEO Ricky Halton to look into issues around homelessness. Some of the couples are making 800 bucks a week, but when you've got to pay $500 for a, a, a flat, and then if you've got six kids, you've got no show of getting a flat, even if you are working. So because Tauranga is doing so well in the top level, you get the you get the, the shakedown or the, the bottom level where we're seeing more and more people uh, as a result of that casualty of success. These are good people that are working that just can't get a foot out, and that's 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 a big uh, almost a myth within the homelessness sector. From the Bay of Plenty to the Northland, Jeff Milner is Ngati Poro. So it was a little daunting when he was offered the top job at Nazi Hine Health Trust an iwi he has no affiliation to. But with the support of his family, he took up the role. Ngāti Hene Health Trust, that includes, for example, Ngāti Hene FM. And so you get an eclectic mix of uh, of uh, a radio station, yes. an iwi radio station. We have our social services arm, uh, whānau whānui, mm. uh, providing, supporting families and parenting uh, with a lot of social workers, we have our Matauranga Fanui services, our youth. Kueranga Kopapa Kōrero e Whaiakenei. It's the second to last show for the year, and we're pressing the rewind button with a few stories we've covered over the past 12 months. Heakurauranga tira mano, piki mai, no kake mai ki tenei o ngā puna kōrero. Marilyn Webb is small in stature but possesses a wealth of knowledge. Her good mates include some of today's revered artists, the late Ralph Hotere and Paramatchit. They were part of the same collective that taught art in schools and learned under the Tovi scheme. This year, Marilyn received the Supreme Award at Creative New Zealand's Te Wakatoi Awards hosted in Wellington. Here, Marilyn talks about her childhood in Oportiki and her foray into education and printmaking. I was actually raised in, uh, as an Oportiki kid. What was it like growing up in Oportiki? Oh, it was wonderful. It's sort of been in the 1950s? Oh, 40s. 40s? And um, can you imagine two rivers on either side of you and the beach in front? It was bliss for a child. And a small loving community. It was wonderful. 
So being Ngāpuhi and not necessarily being, being raised in the Hokianga meant that you weren't around no, your, your no, language? No, or? I wasn't. And I didn't realise that, of course, until um, I'd gone through my training and had got my first job in the education department in Auckland. And I was working as an art advisor to schools in Northland and Auckland. And I was given the Hokianga as my um, Your assignment yes, as my school's country school list to look at, and of course, then things started to uncover themselves for me. So the girls then, this was in the fifties. Girls then either went nursing or teaching, and I went teaching. So I went to Ardmore Training College because it was a living institution. And, of course, the great reforms in the late 30s of Peter Fraser, who was then the Prime Minister, who wanted a better education for New Zealand children. He wanted New Zealand children to have more opportunities and more creative opportunities. So there were things like physical education, and this was after the Second World War, where they wanted better things for children a better life, and they also valued, started to value ethnicity. So my mother's era was almost over, like being smacked for uh, speaking te reo in the, in the playground. So that era was disappearing. And I was very privileged to be born when I was because I came in on the change. Right. Now, um, they trained specialist advisors uh, they trained advisors in um, science advisors in phys ed was the first advisory um, set up in Wellington and then they trained in art and craft and art and craft then encompassed Māori as well as all the Eurocentric at um, attitudes to art and craft so there was and I came in on the rebirthing of Māori art and craft into this, the school system which was wonderful the, we travelled with other advisors we didn't, we weren't solo we travelled together we used to go into schools the headmasters had shut the schools down. We'd worked with the whole ch- with all the children, and we'd worked with the community. Would come in as well. It was wonderful. We this was the um, era in New Zealand art where ceramics was a big thing. We built lots of uh, salt glazed kilns. Um, around Northland, they are, some of them are still there. I've seen them with, <laughs> really? with morning glory growing all over them. They're not used, but you know, and we and uh, we uh, mirrored the local contemporary art thing also in the school. So there was a, a continuation of art practice going right through to the community, and it was very rich. And um, it was very full, and I could, as a young woman, could never have thought of a better job than that. In fact, I did several periods of um, being away, uh, you know, overseas. We used to 
go on unpaid leave and the government department would act as a sort of a provider when we got back. We'd go on unpaid leave and they'd keep our jobs open. That doesn't happen anymore. And um, I'd go away and I'd always come back because there was no better work as far as I was concerned as fulfilling work. And a lot of colleagues are still my close friends, the ones that are still living. There's some interesting things that you just touched on about um, te reo Māori yeah. and how it wasn't really a, a, hu- a huge part of your life, but what memories do you remember about your Well, your I mom? remember my mother only spoke Māori on Wednesday. <laughs> I love was that story. Awful, isn't that awful? But, I mean, it's funny to say that, but uh, she used to sit on the back porch with a friend who came around on Wednesday. And when I came home from school, they'd shut up. They'd say, oh, shh. And they'd say, oh, did you have a nice day at school, dear? You know, because so you'd catch I, them yeah, little I, words I used to creep around the side of the house. And I'd creep around. And I'd hear them. And I'd stay there for a while. And uh, that was because, of course, she was brought up in that period where Māori students were smacked or hit around the legs if they, they weren't allowed to speak to Reo. They weren't allowed. And if they were caught in the playground, that was it. Tēnā koe e te marae kura, ko Marilyn Webb. Jeff Milner has a strong background in business. Today, he's at the helm of Ngāti Hine Health Trust. The trust run dental services, disability support programs, suicide prevention initiatives, iwi radio station, and they work alongside local authorities to combat methamphetamine use and supply. With a focus on future planning, Jeff says that his job is getting in the right people to do it. We have uh, an office based in Kaitaia, but we also serve, provide services right up in Takao, and we have a uh, we have a base in Ruakaka. And oh, so, is that Ora Pai? Yeah, Fakafiti Ora Pai yeah. are our partner, our Fana Water Collective partner up there. But we provide some uh, some disability support services to the Fana right up there. And, uh, and then offices, I guess, everywhere in between through Kaikohe, Kirikiri, Kawakawa, Paihia, uh, Moirua, Whangarei. We've got a couple of offices here, so we're spread across a, a large part of the north. Yeah, Ngātihina Health Trust uh, uses the term health or hauora in a very holistic sense. Uh, so it's not just the traditional Māori health provider that uh, is lucky enough to, to have a, gen, a GP clinic or lucky enough to have some nurses or, or dentists, etc. Uh, it, it has a holistic view that, it, that uh, we have a wide range of services. Um, some of our, our uh, contemporaries across the country have different entities for their social services, um, their hauora arm, uh, whereas with Ngāti Hine, a lot of the majority of those things are under the auspices of Ngāti Hine Health Trust. That includes, for example, Ngāti Hine FM. And so you get an eclectic mix of uh, of uh, a radio station, yes. an iwi radio station. We have our social services arm, uh, Fano Fanui, mm. uh, providing supporting families and parenting. Uh, with a lot of social workers, we have our Matauranga Fanui services, our youth health promotion team. It's a challenge to, to keep a collective going, but we've learned a lot over the years, and 
And what we've learned is uh, when you get past the suspicion of your whanaunga, if you can demonstrate to them that you're actually here to serve to serve them, then, then they give you the confidence to lead. In 2017, Northland DHB teamed up with New Zealand Police to implement the Ara Oranga Methamphetamine Demand Reduction Strategy Pilot. The programme focuses on the reduction of use and supply of the drug P. We hear about the meth problem, the P problem, but what? But since joining this role, role that problem has has really become a reality to me. As I shared with you before, just driving around with some kaimahi uh, who know one or two things about what goes on in the community, uh, we're just pointing out this house that you know, and 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 that sounded like everywhere. Um, Ngāti Hine Health Trust uh, has has picked up the Rako and uh, and joined with. Uh, again, a collective approach in the north, so that it's not just one man band. It's a, it's a consistent approach, uh, and we and we must acknowledge the mahi between the Northland DHB uh, and the New Zealand Police uh, through the proceeds of crime. They came up with about three million dollars to put into a pilot uh, here in the north uh, that that I guess addressed methamphetamine. Uh, from a dual angle, so rather than just uh, as criminal activity, they said there's a health element to this kaupapa. And we talked about there are some beds that have opened up um, under the trust, getting users off P or helping them through it. Yeah, part of that um, part of that process is if you identify people who are addicted um, to to meth, is, is you've got to be able to um, refer them to beds to get that specialist help. Yeah. Uh, the, north, the north is lucky that it does have a, a couple of the hospitals with uh, specialist uh, addiction services beds that, that provide treatment, uh, and the, the number of beds available in Taitokoro are increasing. And so um, you know, whilst there's probably never enough beds, uh, I know around relative to summer other parts of New Zealand, including where I'm from, Tairawhiti, who don't have any residential beds and specialist clinicians to address uh, the use of meth, um, we're lucky in the north. So, so both through the ho water providers and the DHB who provide that specialist addiction beds in the hospitals to help take people off meth and then... Uh, Organisations such as Ngāti Hine Health Trust provide wraparound support in terms of going back into their whareas and got to change some things when you're released from beds as well. So, yeah, I think I give the North the big ups for the combination of mahi in, uh, in both the community and in the hospitals. Kia ora, Jeff Milner, CEO of Ngāti Hine Health Trust in Whangarei. Ra Mead used to be a police officer based at Ngarawawahia. She jokes that her side hustle of selling stuff on Trade Me was a bit of an inside office joke. Her fellow police officers found her checking her Trade Me page during work hours. Her work as an officer led to her working in the Ngarawawahia community, a community that she grew up in. But with a garage filled to the brim with clothing, add to that a love of trade me, well, eventually led to her setting up her own small business, Thrifted Streetwear. I'm relatively new to business. I first um, got interested when I went on maternity leave with our third child. Uh, we had three children, two girls, and then we finally had our boy, who's our baby and spoilt tamariki in the bloomin' whānau. But um, 
So when I was on maternity leave, I was um, a police officer at that stage. After 14 years, my husband and I spoke and I said to him, I really don't want to go back to work. I want to stay home with boy. And I think it's so true about mums and their sons, that connection. So we made that decision. It was quite a hard decision because I really loved my job and I, I, I praise the police big time and um, I'll always advocate for them. If anyone wants to join, I'm always the first one in there saying, just follow your dreams. Were you a police what... officer in Hamilton? or were so you... In um, Huntley and oh, yeah. the surrounding areas up there. And um, it wasn't until then that... I thought, right, I might resign and just actually be a stay-at-home mum. But um, right through my life, when we moved to Hamilton when I was three, we lived at the end of a driveway that had an op shop at the end, just out here on Anglesey Street. And I just had a love of op shopping. Just loved it. Loved to just see what people would throw away, what they would class as junk, and I would just love going to op shop. So that gave me the opportunity to um, kind of turn my hobby into some money making husband's at work I thought oh I'll try and make some grocery money and uh, find something and flip it and it just it just progressed from there so it's only been the last um, three years I've really gotten into trying to turn it into a career make some good profit and um, yeah, that's where it stemmed from, basically. Were you an avid op shopper since a young girl, and then when you became a police officer, you would still maintain that op shopping hobby? Well, it's a funny story, actually. So even, uh, I'm very boring. I've only had three jobs. I worked at Inland Revenue when I left high school, then I went and joined the Army. I was in there about five years, and then kind of progressed into the police where I did 14 years. But I've just op shopped right through. So the boys in the police would always say, Ra, what are you doing in the police? You're, so, you're making more money side hustle. And I would be at work and I'd be on Trade Me. And the boys would be like, Ra, you do your court file over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minimise it so they couldn't see it. But um, I would find stuff and go, oh, no, that's an easy... Just, it was more a hobby. And I just found fun in it. So I've always been one of these little... I don't know what they call me, side hustle kind of thing when I was in the job. Opportunist so, or, you know. Yeah, very much so. I could see something that would be, um, like I say, just make a little bit of extra money. So you left yeah. the police, you had your third child, yes. you decided, yeah, I don't want to go back to mahi, and then you took over being a op shopper or a um, bargain finder. Yeah, well, apart from, well, that was such a new adventure. I had, we'd had our two girls and I would, they were like four or five months old and they'd go straight to daycare and I'd go straight back onto the streets and work. So when I took on um, being a stay-at-home mum full-time, it was very much an eye-opener. I thought it was the best decision that we'd ever made and I'm grateful that I took that leap. But yeah, I did turn into um, a bit of a full-time op shopper and um, garage sailor and finding um, bargains online and... I just ran into, it was quite a great opportunity. There was a local op shop here, and I managed to, she would sell me bales. So we kind of went from buying one or two pieces to buying 400 pieces to... Bulk buying. Bulk, bulk buying, yeah. And I thought, right, I might just make a little Facebook page and and see how I go. And when we hit our first 100 members, I was like, yes! You know, cracked <laughs> open a bottle of... <laughs> Bailey's or whatever it was, and was just so chuffed with that. And now our Facebook page is at um, just under 19,000 members. Her home was filled to the brim with clothes, and it made sense to divide the spaces. It probably wasn't until maybe um, the 1,000-member mark. I was like, wow, heaps of people are joining. It was probably at that mark that I thought, um, might just give this a go. Never really imagined us going into a shop. It was more, we had... um, constructed racks in our double garage and we would have customers that would come and visit us and shop at home. So it was more a 
at-home business. I really liked it like that for probably the first couple of years. Thrifted streetwear is not your typical bargain or hokoroko shop. First, there's the labels of the streetwear. Starter, Stussy, Tommy Hilfiger, Gucci, and she's even got a couple of pieces of Cross Colours, a label that was made popular in the early 1990s from the rap and hip-hop culture. Think vintage urban streetwear. But to build up her stock, Ra hires people who work on her behalf across the states. Thrifted Streetwear, every item I buy, we buy from the States. I either personally go over to the States and thrift it myself, or we have, I have a number of guys over there that um, thrift daily. That's their passion also, and um, it's good that I'm able to help them out. They can make a bit of money, and I appreciate that the effort they put into getting up at 3, 4 in the morning to go to the flea markets. Um, for me, when I'm over there... All over the just, States or just like Los Angeles? All over the States. Get a dart, throw it at the map, and I just go there. I pretty much just go anywhere that I think is going to be good. And to be perfectly honest, in the States, anywhere is good because the variety we have here in New Zealand, sadly, is nowhere near what you can get in the States. Last trip we went to, oh, we, I went to um, Austin in Texas, and it was it was just amazing. Um, just the variety, like I say, is just so huge. And I've only been to LA and been to Vegas and and Texas. I don't know where I'm going to go next. To be honest, um, did I've, you find some good scores in Texas? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I could have stayed there longer. It's never long enough. I'm only over there about a week. But when I turn up there, I rock in there and. They'll ask me if I'm there to donate because I'm there with my big bags. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I've just got off a plane from New Zealand. I'm just here to shop and they think I'm crazy. And they say, oh, yeah, come in. So. so you're there for about a week. You come home with, I don't know, a couple of suitcases? Yeah, come home with a couple of suitcases. If I can't get everything home, I box it up while I'm there and ship it back to New Zealand. Mainly vintage gears I go after, your Nike, Adidas, yes. Fila, Kappa. And if, you've, if you're a Netflix fan, there's got like there's about four um, hip-hop, docos on Netflix that I've come across and one talked about the fashion of the 90s and um, Cross Colours features heavily in it and I've seen your Cross Colours jacket hanging on the wall. Isn't that beautiful? I actually bought that for myself, it was a personal buy but I've got back in the 90s or just lately? Oh yes, no, back in the 90s, loved all of this, FUBU, Kalkani and I love it, um I buy stuff, I need to sneak it, because my ladies, I have two lovely ladies that work here, lovely um, Māori sisters from Ngarawahia also, um, Ailea and Hayley Clay, and they're, they they kind of watch me like a hawk, because I'll buy stuff and I try and sneak it home. Actually, <laughs> I buy a lot of personal stuff, but they're like, no, Ra, you didn't buy that for your wardrobe, your wardrobe's full enough to so get that in the shops. Kia ora, Ra Mead. On the 25th of May 1978, police forcibly removed protesters at Takaparafo, Bastion Point, after 506 days of protesting led by Nāti Whātua Kiorākei Iwi. The protest was held as a stand against the Muldoon-led national government's plan to sell and subdivide land at Bastion Point, owned by Nāti Whātua. The occupation itself began on January the 6th, 1977. This year marked 40 years since the protest ended. Thanks to Natonga Sound and Vision, the late broadcaster Fainata was there on the day. What is the feeling now between your group and the, the elders of Ngāti Whātua? 
Well, we've got to always remember that we have elders too. Um, and it's quite certain that our elders have instructed myself and our committee to remain on our policy of nonviolence, of peaceful protest in regard to uh, the many grievances of our people. And our elders have uh, decided that this stand is a just stand and a stand of honour. As far as some section of our people are concerned, uh, perhaps many of them are more willing to capitulate rather than to really organise the uh, agreement with government to see that it is not injurious to our people, to make certain, to make sure that it does not put a rope around our people's necks. For instance, the trust, proposed trust board will be kicking off or starting its existence in debt to the tune of a quarter of a million dollars and it may raise to somewhere around about a million dollars. That is not on as far as we're, we're concerned. And as far as those people are concerned, they should realise and understand this. And they should put pride aside and make sure that at all times there is a just settlement and justice must not only to be seen to be done, it must be done. Perhaps some people can see your presence on the Orake Marae as some form of capitulation itself. Well, I believe that uh, we must gain unity and, uh, and a just settlement by all means possible. This is one of the means that we felt it was possible. It is up to some sections of our people to understand this, that we have come. And we have made, Bastion Point, a peace ground. They, have, in fact, haven't incited it as uh, another wounded knee. After the arrival of the police, George McMillan, the Commissioner of Crown Lands, issued his ultimatum from an army vehicle. I am George McMillan, the Commissioner of Crown Lands for this district. This place is Crown Lands. I have the lawful authority and duty to prevent unlawful trespassing or intrusion upon or occupation of this place and to cause to be removed or expelled all trespassers, intruders, and persons unlawfully occupying this place. Coverage of the protests at Takaporofo Bastion Point this year marked 40 years since the end of that protest, thanks to Natonga Sound and Vision. Next week, it's our last show for 2018, and again we'll feature highlights from stories we've covered over the past year. Thanks to our engineer for the show, Alex Hama.
defender was the game Stealing cents from what's left of your stepfather's money Ten running down to make change Now you may not be so innocent But your heart still knows the way Got to let it go for a moment Let that moment turn today Somewhere down that line If you don't meet my soul divide If you don't meet mine 